Hello and welcome back to The Game Pit. This is episode 185 and I'm Sean and here is Ronan. Hello Sean, welcome back. Welcome back home again. Indeed, <laughs> indeed, welcome everyone. As I was discussing just a few days ago, hopefully the voice has improved slightly, uh, we're going to do a treasure hunt, Sean, for Spiel 2022. We are. It's been a little while, hasn't it? Uh, it used to be one of the staples of our year, doing our treasure hunts and upsetting everybody. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, how many provisos do you have to put in here? Because you don't want to like, bore everyone who knows what we're doing, but then we're still going to get shouted out by people. So we have not played any of the 20 games we're about to discuss. What we do before Spiel every year is we just have a look at games, and as customers, as normal people, we say, do we think... They're something that we would like to invest our money in and we call those treasures or do we think that if you put your money in there it's going to go a bit awry and we call those traps and to clarify it's just us guessing from watching videos reading rule books from the little that we know about board gaming so please don't get too upset or too happy if you get a treasure or a trap it's just a guess that's out of the way sean kick us off okay so the first game i'm going to talk about is Almanac Crystal Peaks. Now, this is a sequel to a game that just completely missed me by. I didn't even know it existed, which was Almanac Dragon Road. That's my first question gone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had no idea about it until now. And it's all about trading and traveling and adventuring through a fantasy land. It's essentially a simple worker placement slash choose-your-own-adventure game where each map has different rules and you do slightly different things and you're going to play through six rounds and there are loads of different scenarios to give it some variety. Ronan, that's all I want to say so far about Almanac. What's your first thoughts? Uh, it's got arms, isn't it? He's a bit... He's a bit, you know, <laughs> he's he's a bit, bit hit and miss for you, up, isn't he? <laughs> bit up, bit down, bit round the side. We... <laughs> Uh, what, 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 Scott Arms? What's it? What, what's the first three words come to mind when I say Scott Arms? You asking me? Why? Well, unless someone else is recording. What are you guys? <laughs> Matt, you hidden in your pocket. The first two words are tiny and epic. That's what oh, comes I was going to make a tiny epic joke. I'm just going to scratch all my notes out. You get to go first. You steal all my jokes. Go away. I like the thought of the different maps. And the the way that they do different things and this slightly changes it up. I like a narrative in the game. My thoughts on this one is it might be too light for me as a gamer. I think it is very light, very touching. Touching. Uh, sorry, just touching what it. now? Touching? Who are we touching? <laughs> just dipping its toes into the worker placement genre or mechanisms. There's a lot of like, it's, you're almost going meta and theoretical with this discussion. It's like you don't want to say what you want to say. <laughs> right, I looked at it and I thought it would suit possibly you and James, although he's grown up a bit, but Thomas on his way through. It's a lovely gimmick, the fact that the book opens up. It's going to attract people with that. It doesn't have to have massively in-depth gameplay to suit the market that it's aimed at, which is why I gave Almanac Crystal Peaks a treasure for the intended market. I'm not going to get it. But I can see what they're trying to do, and I like it. I also gave it a treasure, Ronan, and I am going to get it for... You stole my notes. It is a game that I think I can play now with James and in a, in a couple of years with Thomas. So I've very much got that in mind, and I probably will be picking it up. 
The next game we're looking at is Revive. One to four players, about 120 minutes from a porter. Publishers have brought out the magnificent Santa Maria Automania and a team of designers, Anna Vermlund, Eilish Svensson, Helga Meissner and Christian Amundsen Uspi. And between them, they have designed those three games, a Mangrovia and Rebel Knox and Escape Curse of the Temple. So they've got a background. It is a sort of a modern clockwork Euro with a campaign system over five games in which you're all running a tribe trying to sort of revive civilization again. And over the course of the five games, you unlock new tribes and cards and stuff. I don't think the campaign aspect is the strongest part of it. In terms of playing, you're either going to hibernate to reset your card slots and, and your reusable energy that you use to the machines that you power up to get powers, or you're going to take actions by playing cards for one of two effects. There's board play in which you go out and explore a board and flip tiles that will score your points, get you more cards. You can populate the board to unlock your unique tribe powers. And by presence on the board, building buildings claims resources. You're going to manage these six different resources in order to get these cards and run your engines and all the rest of it. You can be scoring some in-game points, which will give you bonuses and make you more powerful as you go. And there'll be some in-game points for technologies from board play and artifacts you collect via various actions. Sean, Revive, a modern Euro, putting pretty much everything you can think of on top of there. Campaign play, board play, card play, resource management. Firstly... I want to know your thoughts on the look of the game because you're my look expert. You're the best looking man here. Yeah, well, obviously. Um, I don't like it. I think the board looks really busy and cluttered. I don't particularly like the artwork on the cards either. For a sort of stand out on the table, it, it's a massive miss for me. So it didn't it didn't strike home at all. I don't want you to mince your words now. If, you, if it's a massive miss, I want you to really... It, I, I genuinely think it looks ugly. It really doesn't It doesn't lend itself to me at all. I've held back a little bit there because I'm not too impressed with the photos and stuff. But also I've got a tiny hint. You know sometimes that you look at games before Essen and you think, oh my God, it looks awful. And you see it on the board and you go, actually, it doesn't look too bad. Ooh. And it all makes sense with the rules. So... I'm, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm hanging on to that line of hope because I, I wasn't too impressed with the photos. They've gone for a blend of theme with very intricate Euro mechanisms. Doesn't often come off, but amazing when it does work. It's one of those things you need to find, you need to get that balance. You need to get that tipping point just exactly right with all the different mechanisms this is thrown into things. It's one of the main things that I picked up from this is that I like the thought of getting access to more and more powers. So as you as you discover things and as you unlock things on your own personal player boards, you get more and more powers that you can use. But then I started to thinking, when we're up to like 12, 15 different powers, is that going to be too much? Is that going to really like... I don't know what powers to use because I can't remember them all. And, go and, have, and then everyone having to go around their board looking for the powers that they wanted or remembering where they were. So that was my, my main concern with this game. I think they do reset when you hibernate. I think you put up like a mini engine each time and then hibernate again. But it's it's how tricky that clockwork mechanism is all between. And also part of the aspect of that is the replayability. They've gone for replayability with the various tribes they're unlocking. Is it just replayability by learning all the different tribes or is it going to be player interaction? Which it suggests there is with the board play and being next to each other when one gets flipped, you get stuff. So it needs to have enough of that player interaction for me because 
there's certainly been trends to go, as we talked about with Imperium and other games, here's 12 different tribes, but they play in a particular way. The variety comes in playing each of the tribes once or twice to learn them. I don't want that. I will need there to be some interaction within Revive, which is one of the things that's difficult to tell until we go and actually play with it. But, Sean, your thoughts, treasure or trap on Revive? So, with Revive, I, I do like that there is there appears to be lots of replayability. I think it is going to be quite cutthroat at high player counts. It's going to be quite tight at times, which all fits in with the theme of the game. So, with that design team, I think it's going to be a treasure. In, I was kind of on the fence, but I'm going to, I'm going to drop onto the side of treasure, Rona. I am a bit on the side of the fence, beckoning you with me, Sean. Go on, you're trustful. You, we can do this. <laughs> I am going treasure as well, but I'm not fully diving into the horde of coins and swimming around in them, but I think this could be a good one. I'm hoping for a good surprise out of Revive. Lovely stuff. Okay, so my next game is Rise, designed by Remo Conzadori and Marco Pranzo, coming from DLP Games. And in Rise, you are responsible for the economic and social development of a city. Yeah, that's pretty much the theme (laughs) all done. So what you're going to be doing is you're going to be, as I said, developing that city. You've got 10 sector tracks for the city. You've got things like culture, science, industry, you know the the types that you've got there. Did you say did you say ten tracks or four hundred and twenty three? <laughs> Just the ten. It might sound like feel like four hundred and twenty three. There's there's shared action cards where you're gonna choose from four of them. You can pay extra money for more powerful actions. You have to react to events in, in the game that, that are gonna happen to all the players. And I talked about those tracks. Each of them has different benefits when you, as you move up there. Game is played over 12 rounds. The person who has best got the balance and satisfaction of the people is going to win Rise. Ronan, I'm going to put it out there. Scariest box cover ever. Really more than one of your later games already? We'll, uh, we'll talk about that a bit. <laughs> Because there's one that's been unsettling me. Let me tell you, this one is the second place. Okay, fair enough. I looked at the designers, Sean. You know, that gets you off on a foot. Mm-hmm. Marco has got upon a salty ocean under his belt, which you liked a lot. Yeah, it was it was, it was a decent Euro, wasn't it? It was. Remo, fierce amount of mediocre games on that record, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm sorry, bro, but none of those have been hits. Yeah, well... It's kind of me in the box, isn't it? It's a economic engine builder. And I kind of got the feeling that it was a step along from Furnace. So I, I really liked Furnace, but there wasn't enough because you kind of playing the same game over and over and over again. So after like 10 games, we are done. And this felt like almost the next thematic step in, in the Furnace line. I know it's nothing to do with Furnace, don't get me wrong, but I, I feel like there's, there's similarities and the interaction with the with the same cards you're all choosing from and having to pay extra for the good stuff on the cards. It, it feels like it fits into my type of play quite well. I'm sorry you're such a boring human being. I know. I each track, <laughs> each of those 423 tracks works slightly differently. And when you read the rules, it's just a track and move and the track and the space, and then there's a track and this track, you got that track and there's a space and there's a move and this track, and then you do that track and... 
Oh my god. I was just like, what is going on with this game? From what I could glean, why I mean I, who knows? You do one action around, maybe three events then happen to you, and maybe none, and you don't have any control over them. So like, what what's happening? Where, where, where do I get any control in a game where I'm just watching things go up tracks? Where's the satisfaction in the game? Where's the like I've done this? What'd you do? I moved that dobber four times in the last ten minutes. That's what I've done. Yeah, I think you, I, I think you can sort of go towards different tracks and and try tracks. And yeah, move move. <laughs> uh, get the best out of each one of them. I think I think it's going to be a little little dinky dinky uppy uppy in small increments. But I like that sort of thing. Trap. <laughs> Rise is a trap. Bro. I ain't having this. Rise for me isn't the treasure that I thought it was going to be when I immediately pre-ordered it well, after a quick read of the synopsis. And <laughs> S and Fever. S and Fever, absolutely. But I'm still quite hopeful. So I've, I've pre-ordered it now, so it's a treasure. No, mate, that is literally the definition of a trap. I got inside <laughs> and spent money on it and it turns out to be rubbish. On Saturday, I almost want this to be the first game we play because I just want to see. No, because Saturday we're likely to be hung over, so let's not make it the first game we play. I thought we were going to play at least one or two games while crawling out of our bits. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Fritz Patrick's Friday night. Woo! Terracotta Ooh. Army. One to four players, 120 minutes. Board and Dice, the publisher. Teotihuacan, Tekenu, all the tea games. Yudo Master Set. Thank you again, Sean. You're welcome. Prezimislav Fornal, who designed Blossoms, a designer. And Adam Kravinsky, uh, Nemesis Sean, Lords of Hellas. He's just like your favourite designer ever, and Origins First Builders. Yeah, I, yeah I'm a big, big fan of his. Okay. His quality. The players are competitively going to be building the Terracotta Army. Well, a bit of the Terracotta Army, not all of it, because it's quite big. And there's five rounds in which you are doing worker placement to drive scoring on a special grid, and it's all a spatial aspect, and you're going to be making these Terracotta figures and where they go in the grid is going to be affected by where other figures are, and they score in various different ways. Off the workers, you've got two different types. It's a bit viticultural. You've got a big one that blocks a space and smaller ones that don't. You place them on an action wheel. On the action wheel, there is inner, middle, and outer actions. You can move one of the inner and middle ones, and then you take the three actions that you've lined up with your workers. You're going to be collecting clay. There's wet and dry clay for different things. There's coins. You can trigger these masters that are in there to help you do special things. And you build the statues, which are actual minis with actual different sculpts for the different types of minis for the different ways that they act in the game. You're going to be looking for majorities in groups. There's column and row scoring. There are inspectors, which will be checking different columns and rows. You can manipulate them via actions in the games. You can make horses that make statues bigger. There are musicians you can make that scores ropes each round, but they cost you valuable money. There's crossbow warriors that want to be alone. There are archers you can put in, which will break ties with other people. And it seems, Sean, to be right there for me in my action wheelhouse, because it seems like this (laughs) simple actions, driving lots of options for scoring, which is very interactive. And man, now now we're talking. Now we're there. It feels to me that there is almost two different games being played. You've got the action wheel, which I really like the look of, where you kind of manipulate the wheel, turn it to get the actions that you want, 
and you've got like the bigger workers, the foremen or whatever they're called, that you can go into a, a place for a second time. I love all that and building up the resources and then building your, your stuff, your, your terracotta army up. And then you've got the other one, which is very much a spatial awareness, area control, a little bit in your face with everybody. That's the side I like less, but as a whole, it's a very interesting game. The minis are just cool. The minis are cool, and they're going to come in a really cool little box where you just plinky plonk them out. Okay, the box I'm entirely uninterested in, but the minis are cool. <laughs> but the box is functional because it tells you how much uh, what points are for each one. So if you pull from the 8-point the one, you put the 8-point one down there. Yeah, it's good. You know how to turn me on, don't you? You use the word functional, yeah, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> functional. Okay. I think people might forget little rules there's stuff like you need certain weapons to be active to do certain things or clay dries out the end of the round if you haven't used it i think in the first one or two games people can get frustrated by some of the situations you have to set up in order to play well i can see that happening i will say the rule oh, yeah. book was very clear and structured so the rules are there i think it's remembering them all while you're focusing on this scoring but you have to run this engine underneath it all like a duck on a lake, as we always say. Uh, I think that's going to be tricky for people. But overall, Sean, treasure or trap for Terracotta Army? Kind of love and hate the clay drying out mechanism because <laughs> it means I won't be able to stack things up like I like to do and just hoard things. Yeah, I love and it. And then have like my big, big goes. But it, it makes so much sense. Yeah, clay's going to dry out and you're going to need water to to rehydrate it and to get it going again. So, yeah, really, really cool, but really frustrating at the same time. Yeah, I think this is going to work. I have a confession that I mistimed this completely. I thought this was coming out months ago, and I stuck in a wee pre-order. And, yeah, so I've got a pre-order of it coming. Uh, I love the look of it, so it's a treasure for me. Yeah, I've got a pre-order in as well for us, and so <laughs> definite treasure for me. Terracotta Army, I'm very, very hot on it. This is a big treasure. I'm betting a slipper on that. Fair play to you. Okay, we're going to move on to the, I suppose it's the big release from CGE. It's Starship Captains, and designed by Peter B. Hofgard. And in Starship Captains, you are... Now, you're basically in Starfleet. Let's face it. Everything. Uh, in excuse this me, game trademark is... police. Trademark police. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Come on. If Star Trek could give a damn, I'm sure they'd be bothered by it. Gale Force 9 are listening. <laughs> so, you are a captain of a new ship. It starts off, uh, you, it's a bit beat up. It's a starter ship. And you, you, what you've got to do is build the ship up and go and do missions effectively. To do your missions, you've got different colour crew, Star Trek, who do different jobs, and those different jobs are to move, attack, and upgrade. There is a map on there where you're going out doing your missions, and there's a really unique-ish worker queue mechanism in which, when you've used a worker, they go to the back of the queue, and only a certain amount of workers will come out for the next round. So you've got to plan ahead to work out, make sure that you've got the worker colours that you need to do the actions you want to do. Yeah, and that's kind of it. You're going to do your missions, score your points. One of my issues with it is that it looks like there's not much player interaction. Yes, I would concur. And on top of that, I don't think there's a lot to it. 
I think everything is is quite simple. The moving and attacking is very simple. I think upgrading, there is some, some meat to it. I think we had this discussion a couple of days, Ronan. Where... No, we only ever speak on the podcast, Sean. Don't give away the magic. Oh, sorry. We had, uh, <laughs> I had a conversation with someone random called uh, Dolan. And... Dolan, you bollocks. <laughs> and we discussed about the first three rounds out of the four in the game being quite small and then all the meat in the game and all the scoring being in the last round. So that's almost sort of half the game again. It, there, there's a weird arc to it. Seems to be. Seems to be. Yeah, like an acceleration whereby the last, it's all there. In the yeah. With how important the setting up of that is and how relevant it is. Because in that fourth round, it looks like you're going to get bonus on this track, bonus from that action, bonus to do here, bonus to go there. And it does it all hinge on how well you've managed to queue for that last round and how well you use all those bonuses in the last 20 minutes or does the whole 90 minutes matter they're going to get attention because the rule book has literally just come out just like just now and it's funny <laughs> and it's got funny artwork and there's jokes in it and there's also lots of sort of sci-fi in jokes within the artwork of the game and that's charming and people are going to like it it's an enjoyable rule book to read so people are going to be buzzing about Starship Captains at Essen. There's no doubt about it. One of the whole premises of Treasure Hunts is, is that buzz just the glistening of fool's gold or is it actually got any meat or, or meat, metal? It would have to be metal. metal. metal yeah. <laughs> is there any metal behind that shine? And I am torn on this, Sean. I, but I think I'm going with not quite enough going on for me and slightly too solitaire. So I'm going to trap. I should probably say that word. Yeah, I was waiting for you to say it. If you'd have asked me two months ago, this was right at the top of my Essen wish list. Right at the top. I was I was mad for it. I saw it at the UKGE, had good reports coming out of Gen Con, and yeah, it sounded like it was going to be a deep, thinky, Star Trekky type simulation. I, I can t- I can tell you now, it's not that. It's much lighter. So I've kind of readdressed the way I'm sort of thinking about it, and it's again, it's going back to the Almanac Crystal Peaks. It's something I'm now thinking about playing with Jane as a family game. I'm oh, is it a trap or a treasure? I think with that head on. It's a, it's a slight treasure, so I'm still sniffing around it. If it was for me and you, Ronan, it would be a trap. So I would say treasure. I'm relying on you to buy it, so you better say treasure. Because <laughs> I want to play it, but I'm not, I'm not spending money on it. Okay, great. Fair enough. The next one up is Baru. It's one to four players, 75 minutes from Crafty Games in collaboration with Ketchup Games. And Crafty Games have done Mistborn House War, Dollars to Donuts, and their main man is Alex Flagg, and he's done a lot of role-playing games, including Mistborn role-playing games, all the Brandon Sanderson books. Also with Stephen Wren, this is his first game, and Taron Lewis Kratz, who designed Heliodox, a game which had lots of good ideas, necessary, didn't come all the way through. Okay, Buru, B-U-R-U, is the third largest island of present-day Indonesia, and this is set prior to the Dutch East India Company and the Portuguese turning up and the whole place getting turned over for money, basically. (laughs) And in this setting, I don't really know who we are. 
But <laughs> we're looking to collect resources to pay tribute to the three island spirits or to collect elder cards, which will give us end game scoring for set collection of various things in the game. There are four areas on the board and each turn, each player is going to put out five workers. Four are going to go out on the board and one is going to be retained. Now, each of these workers have got a number between one to five on there. The one you retain tells you what your income for this round is, is fish and fish is the basic currency of the game. For the other numbered workers, when everyone's placed their workers out, for each area of the board, you flip all the workers over and the, uh, they are going to be resolved from highest number downwards. And basically, the first actions to get resolved are usually or are most powerful in each of the areas. So you're prioritising how much you want to take these actions. It's very akin to the uh, Francis Drake hidden worker power element thing that we love from that game. In terms of what you're going to do, you're going to be looking to get resource cards, which will give you the resources you need to worship the spirits and hire islanders. They cost you fish, and they'll give you different powers. You're going to be able to activate your islanders using their powers to give you various things, and then you're going to be able to pay in these resources, like I said, to the spirits, direct points or elders, to get end game scoring. Baru seems to be a relatively light, but not necessarily without deep decisions game, Sean, with tight resources, which is something that would draw me to a euro of this length. Any initial thoughts? Initial thoughts is I completely skimmed past this on my initial filter of the Essen list because the box just looks like it might have been like an Azul clone or something like that. I didn't get feel for like the box cover really told me anything about the game when i did look at it because you thrust it in front of my face there's definitely something to it it looks beautiful but one of the things i did feel was that the core game as it is presented in the box it does feel very very light to me it doesn't feel like there'd be too many plays in that now i know there's ways to to change that up that we'll probably go into but just the base game looks very light I don't think we'll go into it too deep, so I don't think there's a lot to dive into. It's The whole key is how much you like that worker placement mechanism and whether that's going to drive a 75-minute game for you. If it's not, yes, there are two expansions available which add depth to the game to some degree without adding too much length. The problem I have with it is that, yes, the box doesn't look that great. The artwork is actually, I don't mind, I think they really did a bad job with the box cover, put it that way, because the artwork within the game is much better than that. And the box doesn't tell you anything about what the game is. And you're right, it does look like an abstract with some shiny pieces and you have no idea what's going on. But it's €55 just for the base game. And I don't think there's enough in there to justify that sort of a price tag. And as you have commented to me, it feels like the full game is the game with the two expansions in. And you're getting up towards €100 for what is a light to midweight 75-minute game. So there's an issue here with value, which you have to consider. I love the central mechanism, the core of the game. It's whether it's going to be worth it for me. Sean, is it worth it for you? I'll scrub out my notes, Ronan, because €100 Euro for what I think is the complete game as well is it's too much. So it's a trap for me as it is. It's a funny trap because it should look nice to be a trap, but it doesn't. Then you start thinking about it and you start going, mm, and you see the price and you go, oh. So it's a trap, treasure, trap, trap. Right on to a sequel of a game that myself and Roland both definitely enjoyed. It's a sequel to Savannah Park. It's Caldera Park from Michael Kiesling and Wolfgang Kramer. 
and coming from Deep Print Games. This one is set in um, North America and you're running your own wildlife park. It's got that similar bingo mechanism where you're going to call out a type of animal or number and you're going to place it somewhere on your board and then everyone must follow by placing that same type of animal. Differences here is that the terrain's slightly different, but the main thing what we could see was there's random weather formations that appear, and they're going to make it very tricky indeed to keep placing those animals. Aren't they, Ronan? I think there's big differences. <laughs> Someone's saying you have to put a type of animal on a type of terrain, three terrains on the board, but you're only choosing from seven, and you don't have to follow the exact tile as they did. So there's it's less straight-jacketed than the first one but as you're right the weather tokens get in place in a fixed order and you can't see what the weather tokens do now the different types of weather affect different types of animals so if you've been forced to or chosen to put certain animals at risk adjacent to weather and there's a lot of these weather tokens they replace the fire and suddenly you get unlucky and you pull the wrong one that can affect your planning very much and that is an element of chaos that I'm not sure I needed <laughs> in a game like Caldera Park, Sean. Because you always love to say that analysis paralysis is not the game's fault, it's the player's fault. And generally, maybe, in this case, I'm going to throw it back to you and say, no, this game is set up for you to go, uh, I don't know where to put this because I don't know what's coming out later. I, I disagree because... I think you don't know what's coming out later, so therefore overthinking it is is pointless. So you've got to go. Have you, you, have you ever met me? Have you ever overthink it? No. <laughs> so it is your fault. So that's what we're saying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's it's got very. It's still got the same thing where you've got to put your animals around water so that they can they can drink and otherwise they they die. But yeah, with the uh, random weather coming out, it's. Yeah. <laughs> that could throw you for a proper loop. And I'm wondering if that's too much chaos. Yeah. Do you want Savannah Park to be even trickier? I do. I mean. I don't. I'm out. <laughs> there you go. That was nice and quick, wasn't it? Fair enough. Blocking key. <laughs> One to four players, 30 minutes from Inside Up, who have published Summit and Gorus Maximus. The designer is David Van Drunen. Previous game is Gnomes at Midnight. This was kickstarted a couple of years ago for about $80,000. 2,000 backers is delivering now about a year late from the promise about Kickstarter standard. And it's got lovely, chunky Kickstarter bits. What are those bits? They are 3D Tetris pieces, 3D polyominoes or whatever you want to call them. And it's a competitive block layer in which you're going to get cards that show you color patterns, which you are attempting to achieve from your own perspective by drafting these chunky blocks and putting them. And it only matters what you can see from your perspective. However, you will be affecting, to some degree, the perspective of the other people at 90 degrees to you. There's a 3D board in which you're putting them up at eye level and wherever people are sitting, they should be able to only see, like I say, from their own perspective. Sean, block and key. The whole... Key to it is I think it looks nice. I think the production's great. I think it's got a great concept to it. Before I go into what I think the key is, have you got any initial comments? Table presence is spectacular. 
for this one. And I think it initially came out in Gen Con, and I think for that reason alone, it was one of the hits of Gen Con. People were like, wow, what's that? I have thoughts, Ronan. I have thoughts. Share them, Sean. I'm here. I've recently been on a job interview where one of the tasks to show sort of teamwork and information relay and information receipt was that we had to build Lego. And we had to do so with one person with their back turned with with the exact same set of Lego. One person builds the Lego. The other one has to replicate it through instructions from the team. And in in this case, you weren't allowed to use... Uh, colours or numbers. Now, I just want to now, check, are we doing one of our <laughs> treasure hunts or are we into one of our therapy sessions? <laughs> a little bit of both. Okay, a little good, bit of good, both. Good. Now, I didn't, apparently I did all right in it because I got offered the job, but I thought and I felt really frustrated and I think that's where the path I'm going down with this game. I think it might be frustrating. Oh, that was a long route that we got there, but congratulations on getting off of the job. Well, thank you. You, thank you, you. are the key to Britain's Railways. <laughs> I think that you're wrong in that. I don't think there's hardly any interaction in this. And because you're looking from different perspectives, you don't really, you don't know what pattern the other person's trying to achieve, as far as I can tell. So you don't know what they can see. So any blocking is going to be incidental. And even then, when they want a pattern, if there's something in between, it doesn't matter if it's a blank area of their patterns. You can't even sort of stick one in there just to annoy them. So I can't see there's any interaction in this. So I'm going to let you tell me whether you think it's treasure or trap, but I think you can hear where I'm going. But I almost, to go completely opposite to my other point, almost when there is incidental interaction that's almost more frustrating yes i almost yeah i almost want someone to go ha ha completely screwed you over rather than oops sorry didn't mean to do that no that's that's even worse plus i think it'd be really fiddly and you'd be knocking pieces over left right and center and if you knock some pieces over how do you get them back to where they were and uh this game just has stress all over the box so it's a trap massive trap probably the biggest one on this episode for me I'm going to say the quintessential trap, Sean, because <laughs> it looks lovely. I'm sure it will be fun for one, two games. Maybe we stretch that to three, and then you're just doing the same solitaire puzzle again and again and again. And I cannot see this having any legs, as tempted as I am by the lovely pieces. I think blocking key is as trappy as a trap can trap. One trap. So, moving on to one I know Ronan is massively excited about. This is Cat in the Box from Monoyuki Yokuchi, Bezier Games, and Hobby Japan, both releasing this. It is a trick-taking game with really similar games to your normal trick-takers, red being the trump card, etc. The only difference is, and the main difference is, you choose the colour. The cards are all completely neutral, and you decide what the colour is. So if you say, right, this is a blue six, then it's a blue six. If players don't follow the colour, then they're out. They can't use that colour again. And if you get to the point where you can't play a card, you form a paradox, which means that you're going to lose points. And you're trying to get your markers onto a, a shared board in groups. I was hoping that Rona would explain this to me a bit more because I don't really get his trick takers at the best of times. But I've been told by 
Matthew Jude, who was on our, our show very recently, that it's a fantastic game. He's played it and getting great reviews, but I don't really understand it. Are you okay? Are you, are you interested <laughs> in this game? So the idea is that the number is fixed on each card. So there are yeah. five sixes, which may be in the game because not all the cards are in the game, but there's only four suits. And if I say that that is a blue six, the blue six has now been played and it's marked on the board. So no one else can claim to play the blue six because that's what that became at the point I played it. Hence the whole Ooh. idea of the quantum thing. Once you observe it, it becomes what it is. I don't need this level of stress in my life. <laughs> I don't need to be working out and guessing and going, oh, if I do that. And like you said, if I if you've led yellow or claim to have led yellow, which means you have led yellow, you make your own truth, that's lovely. And then I say I'm not following that. Then I can't play yellows for the rest of the round. And I think the idea is that you can see I can't play yellows for the rest of the round. So then you start stitching me up, forcing me to play cards into and say, oh, I know I haven't got a green because I haven't got the right number to play it. Now, if you could work out what other players had, even if you could see their hand, I think it would be maybe better, although horribly like trying to work out your brain going crazy, because you could go, he's stuck with two sevens. I can stitch him up with them by doing this and doing that and doing the other, but maybe that wouldn't work as a game. But in the terms of you don't know what numbers I've got in my hand. So while you might be setting traps to say like, right, that's all the fours used up. If you're stuck with a four now, that's it. You'll, you'll have to create a paradox or whatever. But it just feels like there's too much guessing in there to me. And there's going to be too much incidental. And other people are going to be much, much, much better than I am. And I, I'm getting stressed already. There's so many good trick takers <laughs> that don't have this level of just gobshite on top of it that I see nothing in Cat in the Box for me. But I am going to play it because I need to find out why everyone's getting so excited about it. Is it just because it's something crazy and different and funny and random stuff happens and you're all laughing or has it got the actual kernel of a very good trick taker in which you're following the pattern you're making decisions and you are actually setting traps for people not random holes they may wander into so for me cat in the box is a trap there you go i'll just put it out there for me it's a trap i still may buy it because i want to gauge nat's sort of excitement levels for it because she does love a trick taker and she tends to fall in a very similar patterns as as Matthew so if he's excited and thinks it's a good game there's a good chance that she will too so I, I probably end up buying this Ronan but for me it's a trap so that's a weird one isn't it <laughs> no I've, I've seen our uh, discerning more on your purchases <laughs> I have three excited. euro left what can I get normally a 15 euro dice um, indeed right 1998 ISS Sean a name to inspire you indeed one to four players 90 minutes from looping games they are the, uh, the masters of putting out these a game that says a year and it has a theme to it. This is their seventh one in the line. Started in 2013, I think. Might be 2011. With 1911, Amundsen versus Scott. Now, before we get into the actual game itself, Sean, I wanted to have a little discussion with you. Because this is the seventh one of these games. So there's a pattern of the previous six. Amundsen versus Scott is the highest ranked of these games. And it was the first one to come out. It's the highest ranked of BGG just because it has the most ratings. It's actually one of the lowest ranked ones. 
there's a general pattern. This is not exactly a general pattern that each year these games come out, they have fewer ratings on BGG, suggest lower sales, but higher ratings suggesting they're getting better at making them. Cotton Club, the last one to come out, 1923 Cotton Club. Nothing but good things about it. A 7.6 average rating, but only 303 ratings. I've said it to you because I don't understand. Why are they persisting in taking these games and forcing them into this line of marketing that isn't working? Like, I've got a good game here. Great, we're going to put it in this line. But that line has just constantly declined in sales, despite the fact there's really good games in it. Why are you doing that to my game? <laughs> and you had a, an interesting little tidbit about the rule book, didn't you? The designer has said, because they all come in these little <laughs> small boxes. I love the idea, by the way. Don't get me wrong. It's not the idea. It's not the concept. It's not even the execution. But the designer said he had to compromise on the rule book to get it to fit into that small size of a box with all the components. So you're having to make compromises on these games to put them into a marketing scheme that doesn't work. If they just called this International Space Station and put it in a bigger box, I guarantee, I guarantee you more people would have paid attention to it. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the best business decision, does it? Um, if you are, as you said, if you're making compromises. But let's get on to the game. All right. I'm just, just blowing my mind. It's blowing, I want to get 90 <laughs> It's supposed to be great. I can't get it. Okay. The designers are... Gerard Asensi, who designed On the Origin of Species and Lacrimosa, the De Vere game that lots of people are talking about for Spiel, and Ferran Renalias, who designed both the above, plus Insecta and Take a Seat, both of which are also coming out at this Essen. I thought you'd talk about Insecta. To be honest with you, I thought you'd quite like it. It's about the ladies of entomology. Okay. Completely bypassed me. <laughs> I don't think I even saw have it. Have a look. I think you might like it. Good. All right. All right. I'll have a sniff. Good. Hard one to grow up from the rule book, Sean. That compromise rule. It is, as we've discussed. It, is, uh, it refers to components, and I do feel like having the game set up would make it much clearer. It's a game in which you are attempting to work with the other players on Earth, where there are four actions available, in order to prepare shuttles. There's always two shuttles available at any time to launch things up to the International Space Station. They might be modules, which will change the space station. They might be stuff for experiments. It might be astronauts who you can put up there doing experiments and take back, or you can put them in long-term up there to score points. You said, I'm going to cut you in here, that when you looked at it, it felt a bit like on Mars, which might be familiar to a few people with that dual action system. That's the thing that sprung out to me when I was looking at the rule book, is that it feels like you've very much got to set yourself up on Earth to do the meat of your point scoring and your big actions up on the ISSS. ISSS, that was too much yes, yes. SSSS, SSS. And yeah, that's pretty much what on Mars was. You were setting yourself up to go onto Mars itself and then build your buildings and do your bits and pieces. So that was the thing that leapt out at me. But I'll put one to you, Ronan. Eight actions in what feels like it, it's aiming to be a deep and think euro is there going to be enough there yeah that's actually got written down here that for quite a long playtime of 90 minutes it needs to feel like each of your actions matter and that you're not endlessly churning launches and and going again and again and doing the same thing the same thing same thing there needs to be some progress and feel like there's a bit of an arc to it i think there might be because the iss will build up which should open up newer opportunities to you and different areas to go for. But again, it's hard to tell without seeing the game in front of you. I'm 
I'm only fingertip on all my judgments about this. I do like that the scoring is very specific. You don't get points for everything. You have to actually focus on what you're doing. And it's interesting that it seems like you do have to jump on board what others are doing. You can't just be a lone wolf and try and do it by yourself. If they're loading up a shuttle, get on board the shuttle and get your stuff going up there so that you don't have to do all the hard work. Yeah, I think you can definitely nip in on others' others' work. That's that's a, a good and a bad thing for me on this one. But I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say, Ronan, that I feel that this one, although it's a bit of a shot in the dark, I'm hopeful. A moonshot in the dark? Uh, nah. And I don't know if it's because I want it to be good because I like the premise or I think that I've seen little snippets in there that might might be quite promising, but I'm going to say it's a tentative treasure, and I'm I'm almost positive I'm going to try and... It's, it's not a big price point, as you've already said. I'm going to pick this up and give it a proper go. Well, all right. I was going to pick it up, but if you're buying it, then I won't oh, well, there you go. save that <laughs> Yeah, I'm going exactly the same as you. Tentative treasure, poorly served by putting in this line, but I think that there's enough there that I definitely want to give it a go. So IS, no, 1998 ISS, <laughs> treasure from both of us. Sean, you're taking us into the forbidden realms of only a demo game, but you didn't realise. I didn't realise because there is a price on it on the BGG list for Essen. So I assumed wrongly that uh, it was it was for sale. So it's Axon Protocol by Jan Roth II and coming from Baroque Games. It's all set in a cyberpunk corporate warfare scene, scenario, think Blade Runner and what have you. And what you're doing in the game is essentially you're brain hacking and the players, i.e. us, are the hackers. Now, there are lots of little people walking around this city and they're doing their normal business. So the butcher's off, does his butchering, and the baker's doing his baking. Wow, you chose like the most boring characters there. I the know, rock I really star did. is I giving a concert. <laughs> the gangster is going to be trying to make a cry. The detective is doing his investigating. Making butcher and baker. It's not an Uwe Rosenberg game. Hey, it could have been a serial killer I was talking about. That's true. Carry on. There you go. And you, as your players, you can hack into them and get them to do other things for you. So one of the examples they had in the rule book or the, the synopsis that I read was you can make use of the rock star to set a bomb. Not, so not that you want to, but that was the one thing, like use the rock star to become the terrorist and what have you. So that was what sort of drew me into this game. That sounds really interesting. There are 40 unique characters moving around this city. And your ultimate goal is earning money for your corporation. So, you know, I don't think you're the best people. So you might have a bit of a a step to take in terms of who you are in this game and um, whether you want to do that or not. But there seems to be plenty to do with the, with the different personalities. And I think it's, all in all, it's just very interesting to me, Ronan. Yeah. And there's other ways to manipulate those characters besides just hacking because it's also, there's different resources, but they're not the sort of resources you might imagine. There's like scandal. So if you generate scandal through a journalist, you can try and attach it to someone to bring their name down to affect what they can do. Or there's drugs, which you can actually get someone, uh, again, dark thing. You can give someone drugs, which will make them <laughs> do certain things, but also become more likely either to get arrested or to become an addict, which will make them less effective for the rest of the game. There's augments you can put on characters to make them 
more capable, but again, that comes at a risk as well. Now, in terms of this 40 different characters, I don't think there's 40 characters in play at once because that would be nuts. Trying to find out what the 40 people are doing, but there's 40 possibilities <laughs> of having characters within play. Yeah. One yeah. of the questions is how much agency we have. This whole sounds very interesting about I can affect this, I can affect that, but how much of the game is just going to happen and how much am I actually affecting and how much is just admin of going, they've got to do that, they've got to do that, they've got to do that, I don't care, they're doing that. This is the one I actually care about. That has to be absolutely streamlined. The fact it's from a first-time designer, first-time publisher, it's been on Kickstarter before and was pulled down again, so it's a relaunch. There are definitely some warning signs there, Sean, despite the hugely interesting and dark premise. There are, and I think there's a lot of pieces to sort of stick in the sticks or puzzle to make it work. So they've got to pull a lot of stuff together to make this one what it could be. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea if they're going to pull this together. I can see the hooks in that bait, Sean. I can see them shining <laughs> there, but I still want to chomp on the worm. Okay, so it's treasure, is it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, I'd have to choose. It's not, it's not coming out as a demo, so I'd have to choose, I've decided. No, you don't have to choose. All right, fair enough. Uh, if it were, I think I would end up buying this game. So I suppose I've got to say it's a treasure, but it could be the worst It could be the worst game ever made. Like I have no idea which one's this, this way this one's going. So I'll say, I'll say a tentative treasure, but who knows? In fairness, this is this is the one demo we have to try and go and get played. We usually don't not interested yeah. in demos for crowd launches, or whatever. But this one, we have to give it a go. It sounds so amazing. Okay, to so almost the opposite end of gaming from that one, <laughs> Village Rails, two to four players, yeah, forty five minutes long from Osprey Games. Just since twenty seventeen, Sean, a sprinkling of their games: Undaunted, Cryptid, Imperium, Merv, Brian Baru. Wildlands, they have had hit after hit. The designers of Village Rails are Matthew Dunstan, Elysium, Pioneer Days, Adventure Games, Monumental. His oft-time design partners, Brett Gilbert, Mandala, Divinare, Great Plains, some of the above. In Village Rails, each of the players has got a grid with the start of seven rail lines around it. At the seven places, it's a three by four grid. You are going to be drafting 12 cards with rail lines on there in routes, looking to connect the seven rail lines with the seven exits on the opposite side of the grid. They can come out wherever they want to. And you're also looking to generate money as you do this by playing cards down to purchase goal cards. Because in a Sprawlopolis style, each card has got routes with uh, terrain and different features on the one side and then a scoring condition on the other side and as you get the scoring conditions you might look to focus on them and score bonus points but also you might look at all the features which are on the lines which interact with the goals also score points by themselves like having lots of signals on one line is a very good thing but some lines want to be very short and so on and so forth it's drafting it's spatial awareness very reminiscent of a bigger Sprawlopolis. It's Village Rails, Mr. Sean Rice. Osprey Games don't know what to do with this game, whether they want it to succeed or if they want it to plummet. I'm pretty because... sure they want it to succeed. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> what do they? I don't know. Why, Why have they put that cover on it? Why would they put that cover on it? That game, it looks like it's 30 years old. 
Like I'm feeling it. It's just not going to stand out of the crowd at all. No, it drew me in. <laughs> Did it now? Yeah. That's because you're odd. That game will will just disappear in the in the throngs. But they're sending it out to all the reviewers. I've seen playthroughs and all sorts. So they're obviously getting something behind it. But I just can't understand the bland beige cover. It looks like a Mayfair cover from the from the nineties. No, it's 80s. the byline, which I can't remember. Carry on talking because I'm going to look it up. Okay. It has nothing at all, literally nothing to do with the gameplay. But go on, go on, keep going. Talk, Phil. Talk. <laughs> so, um, gameplay wise, gameplay wise, it looks like a really cool little filler. There's loads of ways to score off the cards. These cards are quite clever in that they're dual, dual-sided, dual so you can fit more into the box, and there's more variety that way. There's diff- loads of different ways to, to score with your Terminus tickets as well. And I think for a Ronan mentioned Sprawlopolis-type game, it's really interesting, and it, and it won't outstay its welcome. A game of locomotives and local motives. <laughs> Nothing to do with the game. <laughs> Nothing, but he got Nothing. me. I'm like, yeah. Are you are you local? Like an old Ealing comedy where like they're they're making sure that their last train runs on their line to save the branch line or something. Nothing to do with the game, but it worked. It's fine. Okay. Initially, in this one, you might get goals that come out that suit what you've done already, which can be frustrating for people. The other thing I say is it looks very solitaire. Why would I need to play it with more than one or two people? Four people is not going to make me any happier. It's just going to churn those cards more, I think. Yeah, I think the only thing you're going to be doing is moving along the selection. So you've got that small world-esque selection where you have to put a pound on the card to to advance past it to get what you want. I think that'll move quicker. But yeah, I think you're right. It is a solitaire-looking game. Uh, But I really like the look of it. Now Now that I finally discovered it, It's. I think it's definitely a very good two-player filler game that I think both myself and Nat will enjoy. So, yeah, I'm sniffing, Ronan. It's a treasure. It's definitely a treasure because it releases in the UK just before Essen, and I've pre-ordered it. Treasure, 100%. Love it. I mean... Wood, wood. (laughs) Okay, moving on to Woodcraft is the latest game from Delicious Games and Vladimir Sushi. He's joined this time by Ross Arnold. In Woodcraft, we are forest people running competing workshops in the woods, and we're going to be gathering woods and crafting goods for customers. At the heart of this, it's uh, another action wheel, and in this action wheel, you're going to be taking your actions and then moving them along to the next quadrant, and the way that changes is the bonuses are going to change depending on what quadrant you're in, and it'll make the actions more enticing as you go along. Also in the game, you have individual workshop improvements, which are going to individualize your player abilities. And you also have a variety of employee cards, which are going to change up or break the rules. On top of that, the wood that you are collecting is represented by dice. And so the amount of wood is obviously the number on the dice. And you can split that up or even glue it back together and manipulate that in different ways. It's effectively an economic efficiency puzzle. Ronan, Woodcraft. Did you see a thread on the rules about woodland elves? <laughs> I didn't see the, the thread on this the rules about woodland elves. Comedy gold, my friend. Comedy gold. You need to go on BGG, and I think the title is just woodland elves, question mark, and there's a geezer 
absolutely going into pieces, taking on all comers, saying there are rules about Woodendales and they haven't followed these in Woodcraft. As <laughs> <laughs> far as I can tell, it's not satire. I mean, really, he's really going into one. No, there are he's rules upset. about Woodendales and this is not good enough. And the second question is, did you see any of the initial artwork they did before they changed it up? No, I I just looked at the current artwork. The original artwork, they were like marionettes. They could have all had like black oval eyes and they were very obviously made of wood and they were chopping up and making things out of wood while they were clearly wooden people. (laughs) Wood cannibals. (laughs) Thankfully, they listened, although actually they might have made it more interesting and less twee because there's a lot of twee going on here, Sean. Collect your blueberries, collect your hazelnuts. We're back in the wood, la di da di da. Ah, oh, that whole theme it just gets me on edge. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but in terms of the product itself, the art is high quality. They've brought it all the way through. The theme is all the way through it. And when we talk about value, there's a hell of a lot in there for fifty euros. So it is a good value physical product. Before we go any further, yeah, it certainly seems to be. Um, Mr. Mr. Sushi and Delicious Games do tend to pack in the, the stuff, don't they? With Praga, Underwater Cities, we're, we're not small endeavours. So, yeah, I'm definitely expecting more of the same there. Indeed. The central mechanism, I think, is interesting. Moving around the actions, choosing the action with the bonus. Now, that's quite fine. My problem was every time the word bonus, special power, something extra you get for doing this, for having that, for having that card, for putting this round the back and having it on your elbow, here you have two more of those and one more blueberry and move that down and move that up and here's your eye worker and that changes that. And you, you're talking about, uh, what was it, Revive earlier, about keeping track of all the bonuses and special powers. I find that gets to a point where it's very, very tedious and there were so many in this game, I just could not be bothered. Everything you do, there's six different things that affect it. Yeah, the, your player boards are only so big. Like, you can only have a certain amount of improvements. You can only have a certain amount of uh, the workers. And the workers are split into two types as well. So I think that kind of waters it all down and makes it easier to track. In my head, anyway, I, as, as we say, we haven't played these games. But in my head, I can... I can sort them quite easily. Talk to me about the tools. What about the tools? So you can you can split your wood. So you can split No, no, no. The tools the... are literally just tokens that you get from other stuff. You just get them incidentally that you build up into a pyramid to just give you more bonuses. It's a bonus whose only feature is to give you more bonuses. <laughs> so I thought you meant like the actual uh, workshop improvement. No, no, no. The, the tool, the little parts. like... like like this is yeah the little yeah yeah I get what you this mean yeah they're just a reception level of euro this is bonus to bonus to another bonus and I'm so deep in now <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio and his spinning top I don't know what reality I don't know what my action was originally what was I choosing <laughs> when you put that many bonuses on it takes away from the central mechanism because it becomes less important because the one thing I'm getting from my supposedly main choice is one amongst eight things I'm getting this turn. So it doesn't matter. It's just like, oh, whatever. As long as I trigger my bonuses, it'll be okay. I think I don't. I don't think you gain eight things at all. I think I think you're you're reading wrongly into that. I've seen it played, and I don't remember any any of that. I felt it was very easy to track. Even Rado managed it. Wow. Oh, shots fired. <laughs> That's where we're going. Okay. Well, okay. Meow. Just call out the big names. That's fine. Do that. Right. I want to play it genuinely. 
I do, because there's interest there for me. Plus, I'll be laughing. I actually want to play it with the original artwork, because that would be much better for me. <laughs> no, because that's scary. Yeah, really, you need to look it up. I'm going to be thinking about Woodland Elves and their rules all the way through. But there is no way, in God's name, I am learning or teaching this. So if someone wants to teach me, I'm happy to play and happy to be proven wrong. But at this stage, it is too many layers. So I'm going to say personal trap, although it looks like a very good product. So I'm going to come out of it. This is my number one pick for Essen. And this is the one I'm most excited about. I think Ronan's wrong. I don't think there's going to be too much to keep track of at all. I think it's all separated and each action tile is only going to trigger out a certain amount of things. You're building up your board slowly so you understand what's on it. And as I said, it's all segregated nicely. So I have watched it played. I was very excited. The action system really enticed me in. Just being able to individualize everything and make building your own engine that's different to Ronan's engine and different to Rachel's engine, that's, that really drew me in. So for me, massive, massive treasure. And I have already pre-ordered it. So it's it will be coming. I will attempt to learn it for you, Ronan, although I can't guarantee a wonderful teach. You better get reading that rule book now because there's plenty on there. I ain't having <laughs> right. Another railway game, Sean. London Necropolis Railway, or Night Tube as we like to call it. Two to four players, <laughs> 90 minutes long from Spielwerks, Lagraha, Daimacher, Arkwright, Captains of the Took Golf. Many, many games. And the designer is Daniel Newman, Dead Man's Cabal, and watch from last year which i was a fan of attracted to this yes, by both i was by both the publisher and the designer because they both like well i like what they've done they put it that way and creepy victorian london railway is very much my energy <laughs> okay do you want to talk about any of those lonely nights uh, at Norfolk Station with random people walking through the walls and stuff? Oh, in fairness, that was Rice and Gardens and Paravel, but not at Norfolk. So let's be clear which ones are really weird and I don't want to spend nights by myself there anymore, thanks. Yeah, who'd have thought strange things happen at night on the tube? Moving onwards. It is a game in which you are going to be running a Necropolis Railway for the I mean, multiple decades, cholera problem that London had. They had an issue with being able to deal with the bodies. So for you, in this game, it's a simplification of what they did, but you are managing a London terminus station by upgrading it and getting staff and stuff. You are managing what happens on the trains as they go across, making sure that you are selling goods to the uh, morning people. It's very dark theme. And then at the other end, you're also managing the cemetery in which there are spatial aspects to building and upgrading and putting crypts in and getting coffins of different colours lined up. Very dark theme. If you have any issues with grieving or anything <laughs> like that at the moment, not one to take on board, honestly. But it's there, and if you can handle it, then here we go. You're doing it by selecting actions. Now, one of the things that, to me, similar to watch, this feels like it's got a small decision space in which you're all doing very similar things. You're all trying to do the same thing, but in your four separate ways of well, how many players are playing. It's about optimising the scoring for what's available rather than that sort of strategic width of attempting to do different things to each other, Sean. It is uh, lots and lots of upgrading. I kind of gleaned. I did see a review of someone who played this a, a while back, and the review wasn't great. 
But that is one of the things they did talk about. There was lots of upgrading of this and upgrading of that and trying to, as you said, optimise each individual facet of the game. When you say the review um, wasn't great, was it not very informative or they didn't like the game or both? It wasn't very informative. The, what they did, <laughs> So what they did do was, um, my, my initial thoughts was a very morbid theme, profiting from death, blah, blah, blah. But they they kind of allayed my fears there. They concentrated on that more. They, I think their last lines were something like, I don't know if this is a, a good game or a bad game, but what it did do was make me contemplate my own mortality. So <laughs> that was kind of the gist of it. I read that. I thought that review was fantastic, by the way. Did you? I, it was well written. Yeah, but you're, but looking, for it, you're of... looking for information about the game. I'd read yeah, the rule exactly. book and then read the review, so it made sense to me what they were talking about. I did it the other way around, so I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I felt like, yeah, there was lots of upgrading going on. You're upgrading your abilities to prep the graves, improving your railway, developing your terminus. But the thing that really found interesting, Ronan, is the, the selection of the action cards or the discs and, and the combination of both. That got me ticking, thinking, right, okay, sometimes I'm going to want things for the card. Sometimes I'm going to need the discs of certain colours to do certain actions. And it's very rarely you're going to get a combination of both that work for you. So it's, there is that choice there. And that's where the slight interaction comes. Well, interaction, I thought, seemed pretty much lacking. So there is a draft. There's always a slight interaction with the draft. You're right. You draft a card which has actions which want certain color discs to activate them. They come with a random couple of discs. So you have to manage the discs that you bring in. Have you got somewhere to put them amongst all the cards you've drafted? That is the key to it. That is the, the main mechanism. I Yeah, it does seem interesting. I'm not sure it seems interactive enough. And that will be my main criticism of London Necropolis Railway is that we're all doing similar things near each other. But how are we really crossing apart across and you know yeah no, i get that for me in this game i think it looks awful <laughs> i think the the artwork etc it looks like a spielworks game i don't mean to be mean to them but their games are very functional very good usually but um look as they are not so i've recently played delivery project same sort of thing but i'm intrigued i'm very intrigued i too liked watch probably not as much as you did but i did like it and I I might well pick up a copy of this, Ronan. And it's a treasure, sorry. I am holding onto your hand while both of us have our other hand on the top of that fence as we swing slightly <laughs> on the treasure side of this one. So we're going to move on to the obligatory Freedom and Freezer game. And I stayed away from the two-player monstrosity of a box cover with the bird that's staring into your very soul on the front of it. I don't even know what it's called because I was frightened. We are going to concentrate on Findorf, obviously from 2F Spieler and Friedemann Frieser. Now, Findorf is the hometown or home area of Friedemann. In the game, you're going to look up to look up. You're going to look to build up the district. And it's very much an economic engine builder. And it talks about having a resource market for peat. That's going to be really important in the game. And the resource market is taken directly, I believe, from Power Grid. No, I can't remember that. So Ronan might fill us in a bit later on that. It's just the fact that the more you buy, the more expensive it gets. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So your goal in the game is you're going to be building structures and that's going to give you income and bonuses. And that's the main goal is to build those structures. Your actions are to hire, you want workers to obviously 
work in your structures and your businesses. You've got your production, you've got bricks and rails, as well as that peat market going on. And you've got sale, which is going to allow you to sell the peat and rails to build a, a railway that's going to Hamburg, which is also the timer for the game. I've left purchase to last because purchase allows you to improve all of those actions that I've just mentioned and make them better and more productive. And it's also where you, you actually get to build your structures. When you're choosing your actions, you have effectively four action spaces it's like a tiny rondelle but all in one straight line and you're going to use your foreman and your foreman can only move zero to three spaces and when you go through the end space and round to the first space again it's going to trigger what's called bureaucracy where rails get added to the railway the market gets reset and you get your income from your structures i really struggled i don't know why ronan I really struggled to get my head around this rule book. I don't, I don't know if it's the format, whether I had a bit of rules blindness, but I really struggled. How did you find it? It's not perfect English either. That's a bit nitpicking, but it's clearly not a native English speaker who's yeah. gone over it, so that doesn't make it much easier. I mean, am I going to lay my cards on the table? Because the game <laughs> seems really dull and nothing seems to be of much import and you're completely railroaded through what you have to do, which is very similar to previous ff games recently so because you're not really affecting anything it's hard to see what i affect when i take my turns would that be it it could be it could be maybe it was just so dull that i got bored i did <laughs> it seems to be almost a labor of love that he trying to crowbar his pride for his home district and what happened and the importance of the, the peat. Like, peat was really important before coal came My dad's going to be chuffed. He keeps getting mentioned in this game. <laughs> and feels like he's trying to crowbar a game in there. So you've got this timer and you're constantly putting rails down on the way to Hamburg. But sometimes you can sell them to put them down. Sometimes they just go down from the supply and it just feels like it's inconsequential really. But the buildings, I think, will be the where, where lies the crux of the game, whether they're going to be interesting enough and give you different powers. And they don't seem to, Ronan. Wow, you're taking a long time to labour over the fact that this whole game was boring. <laughs> <laughs> he's gone here's the story of my hometown this is how it went so you must also do it in this order and this is what happened and this is what happens you're running a simulation of the development of Findorf that's great it doesn't make a good game it's a trap yeah I'd have to say it's a trap as well it just I was hopeful that those buildings I was hoping that they'd be really interesting when I got to the end of the rule book and they really weren't so definite trap moving on we're going to go on to another Spielverts game, Sean. Hopefully you'll be less cruel about the presentation this time. Because to be honest, the Findorf presentation looked a bit like a Spielverts presentation to me. This is <laughs> Pilgrim. One to four players, two hours long. Designed by Nick Case, who designed Nimby and the Sagas of Noggin the Nog. It's a complicated, Euro, medium, heavy-ish, I'm going to suggest, like Sagas of Noggin the Nog but with thematic elements, like Sagas of Noggin and Nog. It reminded me of Sagas of Noggin and Nog is what I'm trying to say. Good. Each player is running an abbey in a central town. From that central town, they are looking to construct pilgrim trails and trade routes out to set spaces around the board. Now, the way they're going to do that is that there is a hex grid, and you can put down root tiles throughout your actions in order to make these trails, build shrines on them, give arms, 
donate buildings to charitable institutions, developing your own abbey to make your actions more powerful, and generally managing your workforce of serfs and priests and whatever other monks that you may have. The main mechanism which you're going to do that is a Mancala mechanism in which you go to one of the eight action locations around the board or the central one and you pick up all your workers and you drop them off one by one. Now, two changes from normal Mancala that you'd expect where you just go clockwise around and then you activate maybe the last space. Firstly, there are two rivers, both that bisect the board. They quadsect, quadrisect the board, quadrant the board. Let's say quadrant, good. One of which allows you to go back into the city as you're going around, and one of which allows you to come back out of the city as you go around. So you have to do right angle moves through the city, which means you don't just have to follow slavishly around clockwise. Secondly, once you finish moving your pieces, you can actually activate any action space where you have presence. And it doesn't even have to have been added to on this turn. Now, the thing about presence is very important because the activation of the space is affected by whether you're in the minority there you're drawing for presence with the most, or you have the majority in presence there, in which case you're going to get more powerful actions. You're going to be building buildings within your own monastery in order to boost up stuff you do. You can assign workers to those buildings to boost up things you do so you can personalise what your particular angle is on Pilgrim to score the most points. And the hexes that can build up as roads can be upgraded, and that's where it's been said there's an 18xx style to this. Now, I think that's put a lot of people off because they're expecting cutthroat and root building and undercutting and stocks. There's no stocks in here. The only thing is, with these hex routes, the first one you build has got a road from one exit to another. Someone else can upgrade that tile to make it into two entrances and exits, which can further be upgraded to three entrances and exits. But you must maintain all the routes that have already been made. You can't break up someone's pilgrim trail. That's it. So don't run away from the 18xx thing. You're looking to constantly train your serfs, assign your workers, get up trade routes, build these shrines, make it all lovely, score lots of points over 23 rounds in which things unlock as the ship goes around the board and says, this is now available, this is now available, this is now available, which gives it a narrative arc as well. Sean, Pilgrim, speak to me. So this was kickstarted a while back and I had a quick sniff at it and maybe it was the 18xx description that was added to it that put me off but for some reason i just didn't fancy it at all so you made me look at it again and certainly a lot more interest from my side i do love that sort of twist on the mancala i do really like the ability to upgrade your actions and to add new actions into your tableau so all things that sing to me ronan the whole thing sings to me <laughs> what can i say it seems that this interaction seems like you're building your own engine but meanwhile you have to be aware of what everyone else is doing you're aware of everyone else's turn you're competing for the best routes you've got to manage your workforce everything about it seems to me sure and i'm not going to give away what i think about it in the end but have you got any further thoughts no, i tell you i don't no, nobody will guess nobody won't it's a treasure for me, Ronan. You uh, you put this in front of me, and I'm really glad you did because I had done this a disservice in the past by completely ignoring it and writing it off as a load of rubbish. I think they did this with the 18xx thing, which I don't know whether they thought that would be a selling point for people, but it isn't. So No, it really isn't. It looks fantastic, and it's right up there. Now, we had a bit of bad news from the publishers that it might not make Essen, so we are fingers crossed. Well, I am, because it's a treasure. It's 100% a treasure for me. I'm fingers crossed that this does get there. My number one 
choice for Essen this year is Pilgrim. I think it's going to end up stuck on the docks of Hamburg while we're in Essen. So we might have to do a raid on the way home, right? So get in there <laughs> and slip out a little, a little crate of Pilgrim. But yeah, it, it's it's touch and go whether it makes it to the show or not. I truly hope it does for the sake of Spielwerks and Nick Case, neither of which are big names or, or, or big business in terms of Spielberg. So Uli is a lovely, lovely man. And that's not the reason why it's my number one choice. My number one choice because I think the game looks fabulous. Number one treasure, shining scepter of greatness. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't played it. I just hope so. Cool. Right. My last two games are takes on on, on older games or re-implementations, etc. So my first one is going to be Great Western Trail Argentina, obviously by Alexander Pfister and Eggert Spiel. And I'm not going to labour how it works too much because it's very similar to Great Western Trail. So what I'm going to talk about is the differences. In Great Western Trail, your your train was the thing that was used to deliver your cattle to the various cities in America. This time, no, the train has a different function. And it's actually boats that are going to be delivering the cattle and they're going to be delivering to obviously overseas locations. The boats will actually leave when they're full. So there's a timing aspect to get into a boat before it leaves. Otherwise, you have to start again on a new boat. So that that exists. We have a new resource with grain and a new worker, which is the farmer. And you're going to spend this grain to activate actions at ports and to pay for the boat costs when you are sending out your cows. Otherwise, now the train does still exist. I'll say that. It's just going to be a point thing. Otherwise, there is not a lot of change there. There's little changes. It's like, I'm going to say, Great Western Trail 1.5. Any thoughts, Roman? To, I mean, Great Western Trail, let's go back to that. I enjoyed my first couple of games of it. It had diminishing returns because I felt like I was doing the same thing again and again and again within game and from game to game. The most interesting aspects that Argentina offered to me are the shortcuts so that you're not forced to make your way all the way down the trail. Now, you are cutting out action spaces by doing that, which therefore means that the relative use of those two things, if that's interesting then that will freshen it up for me. And what you talked about, the timing of the ships leaving, is that going to be really important? Because it just did get into a pattern whereby you were trudging along, I deliver, you deliver, she delivers, I deliver, you deliver, she delivers. And I needed that to be broken up because even with the expansion to Great Western Trail, refreshed it for two or three games and then I was back into the same issue. So that's quite interesting. I hadn't really thought about it because obviously I really like Great Western Trail. So I hadn't really thought about it as more of a a repairing issues that other people had with the game. So that that is quite interesting to me. But what are your thoughts? Is it a treasure or a trap, Ronan? Well, that's straight to it, isn't it? That is straight to it. I am anticipating something similar to the expansion. Now, I know people have said, why isn't this just an expansion? And the answer has been back. No, it changes up way more than that. The board is different. The things are different. There's very few components you can reuse and what have you. Okay. I'm anticipating it doing something similar for me in that two, three, four games. And then, okay, this is Great Western Trial. I've played it a lot. I know what it is. I'm not that excited by it. Ready to be proven wrong. I don't want to call it a trap because I think it's doing what fans of the original game would want. I think in that it's mixing it up, it's keeping the heart of it, it's adding interesting things, and it's making you think about the whole system in a different way. So as a product, I'm going to say treasure, 
but I I am not going to get it. I don't think enough's changed for me. It would make it a personal trap. I like someone somewhere is very puzzled by our two answers here. <laughs> someone is, but as as you said, as a product, it is it's a treasure because I think Great Western Trail is a great game. I'm going to wait until Great Western Train New Zealand and see if they really change it up a bit more. And then that's when I probably will dip my toe in and say, right, okay, I'm going to buy that. This one won't be coming home with me. And I did have high hopes that it would be a bit more different than it is. I'd, I'd follow none of that logic. I love the game, but this doesn't change the game I love enough. I, I love the game, but why would I buy the same game again for a full price? As you said, if it was an expansion, then I would put it for like 15, 20 euro. Happy days, I'll jump on there. I'm not spending 50, 60 euro on a game that I already have. Fair enough. Okay. I'm glad I squeezed that point out of you because I was puzzled until you <laughs> okay. okay, sorry. My penultimate one is Crossing Oceans. Two to four players, 90 minutes. PD Verlag, Mac Gertz publisher, basically. So Concordia, Imperial, Navigador, and TK. Mac Gertz is the designer. Transatlantic, which is the most salient point because Crossing Oceans is, well, it was designed to be Transatlantic 2 but then apparently changed enough in the development to become a separate game now called Crossing Oceans. Matt Gertz, no surprise, this is a rondel-driven game in which you're looking to acquire ships and place them in different oceans across the globe. You're going to develop trade houses in the different regions to match up with your ships in order to make money. You get income from those ships and trade houses, like I say, and you're going to build up set collections of flags for buying ships and building trade houses, which will score you loads of points at the end. As the game goes on through the years, certain ships become obsolete and you're able to replace them by newer models which come onto the market. And you're looking to manage also your coal economy, which you're going to use to fire up your ships in order to make deliveries and make money. Sean, I'm grasping at something thematic there because to be honest, this one left me a little bit cold. I played Transatlantic. I did not enjoy the constant churn of ships and the lack of permanency within the game that has been toned down a little in Crossing Oceans. But I still have a thematic connection hangover to the fact of Transatlantic and the fact that I was not too fussed by that and the fact that the theme never came through for me in Transatlantic and I can't see it coming through in Crossing Oceans. I owned Transatlantic for quite some while and never got around to playing it because it once I, once I got to it and looked at it properly, it didn't seem interesting. And the only things that kind of stood out for me in, in there were, could it be quite confrontational in terms of replacing other people's ships? Because there is a churn of ships going out and the oldest ship will always be the one that's taken out. So if somebody's got one ship in a, in a specific area and you take that out by putting a newer ship in, is that quite confrontational? For sure. I think there's very limited areas for ships and player count reduces the number of areas available. And it does feel annoying when you're trying to do something, you've set yourself up on the rondel, on your next move you'll make that money and then someone comes in and knocks it out and breaks apart because you have to set up a little network to make it profitable. And it, that's where I throw in Transatlantic and it looks very similar in Crossing Oceans. And the fact of that, that you have to set the whole engine up is that none of the actions by themselves are very interesting and neither are the results of those actions. It's all very small, dibby-dibby things to set something up to maybe get a bit of something down the line. Yeah, well, the one action on the rondel that I did kind of think was a little bit interesting, the other ones that will 
effectively benefit others. So you've got to really time it so you're getting the most benefit out of them. So that's quite interactive, I thought. Yeah, there's interaction, but again, it's to set that up, going off, it's, it's negative interaction because that's the bit where they're going to set that up, I'm jumping in there so that I, bonus, I get bonus from what they're doing. I can see what you're doing. My only goal is to break it up. Mm, okay, so yeah, last thoughts from me. Um, it still doesn't look like a game that I'm going to enjoy. I don't think the theme particularly looks like it's going to sail through. <laughs> and for that reason, I think it's going to be very mechanical, not thematic, and maybe not enjoyable. So I'm going to say it's a trap. I'm going trap as well. Now, something just a little kicker on the indie. I don't mean to be mean, but I guess I'm about to be. Since 2010, which is when <laughs> Navigador came out, our first Essen, my first Essen, from Great Max game. Gertz, we have had Transatlantic, Concordia, and variants of Concordia and older designs. In the 10 years, 2000 to 2010, Matt Gertz was good game after good game after great game. In the 12 years since then, two new games, one of which I didn't like. Mm. PD Verlag is no longer a, a must-go-to, but I do love Concordia, I don't have to say that. Okay, your last one. Concordia is amazing. My last one for the episode is Joan of Arc, a... Orleon Roll and Write, and it comes from Ryan Hendrickson, obviously Rainer Stockhausen, who did the original Orleon and DLP games. Can I can I ask you a couple of questions here? Go on. Did it really come from the bloke who designed Orleon, or is his name on there because it's based on the sort of bit of Orleon, like we talked about last episode or two episodes ago? I was I was getting to that. And secondly, <laughs> before I'm sure you're gonna get this as well, Roll and Write. Yeah, there's no, there's, there's no really role. You're drawing, aren't you? You're drawing out of a bag. You're drawing character. Surely, draw and draw would have been like you know, <laughs> draw and draw. Yeah, there you go. You've, you've hit on something. Thanks. Uh, the characters you are drawing are exactly the same ones as Orleans. You're going to take turns choosing the ones that are drawn from the bag, and then you're going to do uh, the actions associated with those characters. You can do an action on a place card, which is like the buildings that you would have in Orléans. Or you can do a beneficial deeds action, which is the, the joint player board where you're basically putting your workers on there to to score small bonuses. And if you fill the line first, you get a you get a major bonus. It all looks very similar to Orléans, Ronan. Uh, you're going to move to places. You're going to get goods. You're going to get money. There's the same sort of map system where only one person can go and build. So my question to you is, I know why, because it's the solo variant, but why have they shoved Joan of Arc on the front of that and not just called it Orleans Roll and Write or Draw and Draw? Well, okay, well here's another question, Sean. What have they done to her? <laughs> Who's upset Joan of Arc? What's, what's going on with that? Yeah, well, you're not happy. She's not happy. Well, it's the same art as Orleon, isn't it? This that medieval well, I know, tapestry no, not the style art, of the art. Look at her. She's not. Oh, you're going to make me get my phone out. Get it, look at it. I'll talk. I'm doing, She's it. I'm doing not it right now. You talk. Happy. The difference, obviously, here is that in Orleon, you are affecting your own pool that you're drafting from. In Orleon, draw and draw, as it's now called. You're drafting from that shared bag and it's a fixed pool and that doesn't change, which I like as opposed to a rolling right because you know the relative values and scarcity. 
So a certain amount get pulled out and then everyone drafts. There's, there's one more than each there are players and everyone drafts one and then the first player gets the last one as well and then turn order moves on. So you can see relative values, which is one of the most important things in a draft. And while Sean is still looking for this artwork... <laughs> I've got it up, I've got it up. Well, okay, do you want to come in before I carry on my second point? Uh, not that bad. She looks a bit miffed. She's not happy with life. <laughs> Clearly someone... She like she's got a castle around her neck. No, not having it. She's looking at you, Sean, and she's saying, I'm not having this. <laughs> I'm not happy. Not happy at all. Okay, so already you can see the, the scarcity and you're making an informed decision. The second thing I like is that with the place cards, you're powering up certain choices for yourself, as are the other players. It's going to be important that you can see what they've powered up with their place cards because that changes the relative value of the draft. And now we're getting into the point of, well, you are super powered for that. So I would like to take this other one. But if I take this one, it's slightly less good for me, but stops you from getting it. And that we're getting to the heart of drafting. That's where drafting works, where different things are different values, but we can see what they're worth to everyone. And it's not randomized. Because if I take this blue resource, who knows if we're going to roll five blue resources next turn and my hate drafting was pointless. It seems to have a point in this. I'm liking that premise. It certainly adds a different layer of interaction that Orleon didn't have. Orleon was generally interactive on the map only. And otherwise you were kind of just doing your own thing. And this, this seems to add that level of interaction. But otherwise... It really is very similar to Orléans. That's, I haven't really got a lot more to say about it, Ronan. What, what are your thoughts? Wait, I don't think it is that similar mechanically to Orléans. Genuinely, I no? don't. In Orléans, you're building a pool to drive your own stuff. In this, you're drafting out of a fixed pool. That's a, that's a big change. And the, everything you're doing is, is, if I take that monk, there's not another monk available because we know what's in the pool. That's very, very different. I know there's some scarcity towards the end where things run out. But I, I while... They've brought through the theme in what you're marking down and how you score points. I'm not convinced that scoring points is the most exciting thing off it, but I disagree with your premise. I would have ignored this due to the terrifying artwork on the cover. <laughs> the fact it's called <laughs> the fact it's called a roll and right, even though it's not a roll and right. What idiocy is that? Where have we got to in the world where this is allowed to happen? Hang on, hang on, Ronan. I'm looking at the picture of the box. And it actually says, Orleon, draw and write. Okay. Should, should I take back all of that, that rant? <laughs> I think you might have to. <laughs> Even though they've got a missed opportunity of calling it a draw and draw. Is it called roll and write <laughs> on BGG? Is that where we've got it from? I think I think that must have been on the first um, draft of it or something. But it's definitely, it's definitely called draw and write now. Maybe while we've been talking about it, the world has shifted <laughs> on its axis and gone, you know what, they're right. This is so wrong. We're going to just, the greater powers, the time variance authority has shifted the timeline. Or maybe they knew, they got wind of what you were going to say. And they were like, we can't let Ronan completely destroy our game with his, with his acid touch. There's seven people are going to sniff at it derisively. Have a listen to this treasure hunt. <laughs> we can't have that. Not in Essen. Nah. Okay. I would have totally ignored it, Sean. I would have no interest. You have piqued my interest I presume you're buying it, and I'm very happy to play your copy. If you fancy this sort of thing, <laughs> treasure, luckily I don't have to buy it because you're going to. You are correct. I've already pre-ordered. I've already paid for it. It's it's all on. So I, I accept what you're saying, and you may well be right. I didn't glean 
that from from the rule book that uh, it, that it would be different. I still think it's going to be very similar to Orleon with that slight little bit of interaction at the beginning of the round. But regardless of which, it's a portable version of Orleon uh, that may even be better than Orleon. So I'm I'm happy to have it, and I'll I'll definitely be buying it. So it's a treasure for me, and we shall be playing it. Marvelous last game for this. Now, we might have more previews coming, or we might not. It depends how I feel over the weekend. Still not feeling great. <laughs> so, so this could be the last stretch, and you get, we're going to call it part one. It might be, who knows? There's no worry about that. Vengeance, roll and fight, Sean. Oh, I like it. Yeah, you're in. Yeah, I like it. One to four players, although up to eight players if you get two sets. 30 minutes long. Publisher is Mighty Boards, who have published Petricor, Days of Ire, Excavation Earth and Vengeance. Designers, there's three of them. Gordon Kaleha, Excavation Earth, Vengeance, Supposed Human Saga. He may be on there because he did Vengeance, it's based on Vengeance. There's Nora Lee Lubbers, it's her first design. And David Tertsey, who's on everything. He's on everything, so he's, clearly he's on this. Anachrony, Days of Ire, Imperium, so on and so on and so forth. This was kick-started. 1,500 backers, $90,000. It's delivering about eight months late. That's pretty good for Kickstarter. Now, what do you do? There is a shared pool of dice. You grab dice from the pool, four of them. You roll them. When you get symbols that match your board, where you have certain abilities to kick, punch, shoot, use your katana, put a pair of goggles on, kick someone in the bum, whatever it might be, you assign those dice to that ability, and then you grab more dice from the pool in real time, and you carry on rolling until you assign dice to all of the activities that you wish to do in the next part of the round. Everyone is doing this simultaneously and there is a restricted pool of dice. And once that pool of dice runs out, we're going to finish this particular phase and pretend that we're all John Wick. You then go on to another thing where you go onto a map and you use the abilities that you've unlocked to kill criminals and collect loot and try and get to the boss. And through the rounds of the game, you have to defeat the boss and score points by killing and getting loot in order to be the bestest John Wickis in the whole wide world. I played Vengeance. I did a little video for Vengeance. But my issue with Vengeance was it was too long for the amount of decisions and the gameplay therein. It was a lot of faffing around to just do a little bit of right now. I'm actually doing the fighting. They've clearly looked to mix that up and do the other fighting element in a shorter time frame. Before we get to the bit you're going to go mental about, Sean, do you have any thoughts initially on Vengeance, <laughs> a bigger game that this is based on? I, I never actually played it, so I don't really know much about it. Well, the premise of like a revenge John Wick sort of a game. It always sounded interesting to me. Like it, it does sound like it could be an interesting game if if handled properly. Okay, I can only hold him back for so long, so I'm going to lead him with. I'm oh, wait, no, 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 no. Let me lead you in now. Let's talk about that last. Let's talk about that last. Well, well then it doesn't sort of. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle whereby you're looking at your map. You see what your map is. It doesn't change. You have a sheet to fill out, and you're like, these this are the things I can do in order to do that puzzle. I'm just trying to get the right things to do it. You can develop new skills during the game, but not a lot changes you. It, but thankfully, it's a quick game, but you know what you've got to do at the beginning. There's not a lot of change. Yeah. The unexpected. Yeah. So really that's the key to John Wick film. We know he's going to fight people. Unexpected things have to happen, otherwise it's... Ooh. 
So, as you said, a bit of a puzzle. You've got lots of different maps, a bit of a variety. Uh, you've got choices in on the maps, the weather. Do you go immediately take out the boss? Do you clear out the rooms? And there are a variety with the bosses as well. They want different things and they, they thrive off different things and they've got different weaknesses. There's room prizes. So if you some rooms will say like, oh, if you clear out this room and all the surrounding rooms, you get a certain amount of points. Or if you take all the thugs out in that room, you get a point, etc. So... There is a little bit of variety going on, and all that is fine. Now, shall shall we approach the elephant in the room? Oh, I'm going to skirt around it for a second. Go for that it. That map play is very solitaire. You're doing your puzzle. I'm doing my different puzzle. Rachel's doing her puzzle. Oh, Natalie's doing her puzzle. It seems strange yes. to me that this is split in two with the map split up with a complete doubling up of certain components so that you can play up to eight players. Who wants to play a solitaire roll and roll with eight players? Who wants to play with more than two players? When when I saw that, I assumed that there was one massive board and you were racing to get to different things before each other. And, that would have made more sense. And whoever, yeah, that, that was my assumption. And this was quite surprising when I saw it was all individual player boards, I must admit. Yes. Right. So, where the interaction comes from is the speed element at the beginning of each of the four rounds in which you're grabbing dice from the middle of the table and rolling them. And whoever does that quickest is clearly going to have an advantage because it is a limited pool and you're denying the ability of other players to activate their abilities. Sean, tell me you love the whole idea. Get out. (laughs) Get out. Stay outside and peer in. Not having it. Not having it. Hate that mechanism. Hate it. I was hoping for more eloquence, but I feel like the rage has taken over. I feel like you've gone zombie mode and just like ah. So if I'm there, I'm there. Can't roll the dice I want. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Look, Ronan and Rachel and Natalie have taken all the rest of the dice, so I'm left with four. Oh, sucks to be me. Hate it. I have. I've written here. Might need to mitigate the grabbing rules a little with some players. <laughs> some special players like me. <laughs> but I couldn't think of a way in which you... Like, otherwise, you're just rolling to get the things that you want forever. Yeah. Um, I, I see why it's there. It's definitely... And you need some sort of timing mechanism in there. And it's a different way of doing it instead of just having a clock. So I believe the solo game you just have 45 seconds or something to to roll what you can and grab what you can and then it runs out it's a different way of doing it i suppose it's just something i don't like and i'm never going to like so it's not for me in all honesty i like it in a co-op because it doesn't cause conflict and i like the fact that it causes that sort of stress so we're talking about fuse flatline project elite i like it in that as a competitive mechanism i actually dislike it a lot because there is no way there's not going to be hard feelings. I'm either going to do really well and then feel really bad, or I'm going to do really <laughs> poorly and then not enjoy the game and be butthurt. And there's no, there's nothing in between. I concur. Those those three games you mentioned are probably the only real-time dice rolling games that I actually enjoy for, for that very reason, that you're all sort of in it together. Yeah. So I'm guessing you're going trapped. Yeah, just just for that mechanism alone. I, I do have slight other issues with it in terms of the solo play, the, the solitary play, but that, that one's the big no-no for me, so it's a trap. 
Yeah, in fact, exactly the same. The secondary issue is that you, all you're doing is checking each other's maps, and you're not going to follow each other's powers anyway, really, are you? So you don't really know if everyone's done it correctly because you're not interacting, and that seems a strange way of setting up the game. And it's just too confrontational. It's too many opportunities for people to get upset in terms of the real fight time dice rolling. Now, at the end of the day, would I play it? Certainly, I would play it in selected company. Would I be able to get it out often enough to make it worth me having it? No, I wouldn't. And I think it has excitement. It's got interesting elements. But at the end of the day, just solving a solitaire puzzle is not enough for me. So I'm going to say a trap for Vengeance Roll and Fight at the end of the day. Okay, so we finish on a double trap. But in general, I think we were quite positive, Ronan. I think we were less positive than you think. You always think we we're positive. But <laughs> I always think we're positive. No, I'm not convinced. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> hopefully that's given you some ideas for spiel games, whether you're going, whether you're sitting at home, whether you're doing pre-orders. If you're on the way there, fantastic. We are very excited to be going and hopefully seeing some of you. Sean, in the last episode, I did mention that we are going to be on the Dice Tower booth. Should I give out the times and dates? If you have them to hand, sir, I think you should. I have them to hand. On Thursday, roughly between 1600 and 1800, the local time, Sean and I are going to be there. On Friday, between 1400 and 1600, we'll be there. The Dice Tower shows at 1400. You know we're on the booth when that's on. because like, yeah, yeah, we're always on the Yeah, they don't want us on the part of the show. We're not good enough. Saturday, we're going to be hungover and not in Essen at all, so leave us alone. Very good. And then Sunday, noon till 1400, we will be on the Dice Tower booth, one or both of us. Well, definitely at least one of us. We might be running around doing some other things during those times as well. Other than that, we'll be wandering around the halls. I've got curly hair and a beard. Sean's massive and he's bald. Yes. And at least one of the days I'll be wearing my pit crew T-shirt that says pit crew on the back and a big game pit logo on the front. Look at you, representing. So, yeah, well, thank you very much, Ronan. Thank you very much, Sean. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you're as excited as we are. And like I said, there may be more uh, treasure hunts coming out just for myself, but... The voice is going as we speak. I'm going to go to bed for now. It won't be coming out anytime soon. And as always, we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to catch us on social media, we have a Facebook page, an Instagram page, and we are most active on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast. If you want to contact us, and please do, if you've got any questions you want answered or anything you want us to review, anything at all, please give us a shout at thegamepitpodcast.gmail.com or pop along to our Board Game Geek Guild, where we are happy to answer questions there too. As we said, please come up and say hello if you spot us at Essen. We'd love to meet some of you and have a little chat. And we always get the fewest people coming up and saying hello because we're not in the video, so no one knows who we are. Exactly, no one has a clue who we are. Oh, yeah, so you you guys do something for the Dice Tower? Uh, kind of. <laughs> so, But yeah, please do. If you if you see two big lumps, as he said, one with big curly hair and a, and a beard and a big bald fella, then presume it's us. It might not be, but presume it is. And uh, yeah, we'll hopefully see you there. Thank you for listening to the show. Music by E. Aaron.
Essen, Boy, Essen, Boy, 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 Boy.